using tech to create an immersive fan experience. Um, my name is Jim McKelvey. Um, I'm the co-founder of Square, which we now call Block. Um, I've got a couple other roles, um, but most recently um, I am the chairman of the St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank. So to all of you in tech, you're welcome. Um, I will now uh, let the panelists introduce themselves and we'll uh, get on with the ground rules for today's session. Good afternoon. My name is Matt Seebeck. I'm the chief experience officer for St. Louis City SC. We're the newest club in Major League Soccer and uh, quite happy to be here. 3-0, great start. Um, yeah, thank you. All right. We, uh, we won the EMLS Cup last night as well. Hey, e-gamer. So things are off to a good start. Um, yeah, there you go. There it is. Oh, there it is. There it is. So that activation at uh, Austin uh, City Limits last night, ACL, where we uh, yeah, took home some, some hardware. So things are off to a good start in St. Louis. Um, we're really pleased to be here. Um, obviously today talking about the fan experience. Um, I oversee all the touch points that our club has with our fans from social, digital, marketing, and, and tech inside the stadium as well. So um, born and raised in St. Louis, and uh, we have an amazing ownership group that wants to use uh, the, the powerful platform of sports to create a, a new narrative about the future of St. Louis. So it's pretty exciting. Excellent, thanks Matt. Is, my, is the mic on? Is that working all right? Doesn't sound like it. Is that better? There you go. You want to do Just got to turn it on. It's really easy. Just switch it on. <laughs> Isn't this the same with all electronic devices? Switch it on. Uh, hey everyone, David Bruce. I oversee the brand and marketing team at Major League Soccer. Um, I've been at the league for almost 11 years, which is a crazy amount of time to be at one place. But uh, we've seen some incredible growth during that period of time. When I joined the league, we had 18 clubs. We now have 29, which is St. Louis, which is obviously why we're here and part of the story that we're going to tell you today. I'm involved in a few things, but predominantly it's about creating a brand that people care about that is unique, distinct, special in the world, that is different from all the other sports offers that are out there, and we think we've created something really cool. Um, my other part of my job is figuring out how we scale that and how we reach more and more people and get more and more, more, more people to fall in love with MLS. So, um, few highlights in terms of, of what I do. One is I work really closely with our clubs. So I've had the opportunity to work with Matt and the ownership group uh, for almost four years now when this, this whole idea of a club in St. Louis was, was really a dream. And I've done that with a bunch of other owners and clubs around MLS. Um, I've been involved heavily on the, on the Apple side as we've brought to life what I think is one of the, the, the great um, broadcast moves in, in, in modern sports to take our product direct to consumer so spent a lot of time, um, most of my time over the last almost 12 months working with Apple uh, on that piece of our business. And then there is an incredible event coming to this part of the world in 2026, the World Cup. Uh, so if you think about a uh, shot to the arm and what is ahead of us, there's nothing better than hosting uh, the biggest sporting event on the planet right here. So that's something we're obviously thinking a lot about and is a huge marker for our uh, business planning purposes. So good to be here. Hello, my name is Lauren Knowledge. I am a chef and co-owner of Balkan Treat Box in St. Louis, Missouri, and we are part of the experience at St. Louis City SC. Um, we are a family-owned, bootstrapped um, restaurant that we do for street foods from the Balkan region. 
Um, we're involved in a way that takes not only the tech aspect of what we're doing here at City Park for customer experience, but also involving culture. So soccer is the life breath to so many different cultures, and we get to be a representative of that. And it's just been a really amazing experience so far. Okay, so um, I'd like to uh, set some parameters and actually find out why you guys are here, because my guess is you're not all planning to build your own sports stadiums. Um, and, and, and in fact, we just finished that, so we could tell you about uh, you know, financing, zoning, if you want to talk about negotiating with Ticketmaster, we've got, we've got the answers up here. Um, but uh, if, if I ask myself why I would attend a session like this, it is because there is sort of this critical battle going on whenever we do something these days. Do we do it in person or do we do it virtually? So obviously we just live through this with a pandemic, but if you think about the experience that you can have in a place versus virtually, that dynamic is, is changing. And it's been really disrupted lately. I mean, um, like if you ask me what my favorite movie was, yeah, I could think about it. But if you ask me what my favorite movie experience was, I will tell you specifically the day I was in LA for Terminator 2. And if you've seen, never seen an Arnold Schwarzenegger premiere in LA with thousands of raging fans, and, and, and it was just this phenomenal experience. And I didn't even like the movie. <laughs> but the experience was different. And, and these days, you know, we've all lived through this pandemic where we've had, you know, real experiences taken away from us. Um, but if you think about what the challenge of what these people have done, it's pretty daunting because our home experience has gotten so good, especially with sports. Like if you think about the quality of the resolution, the fact that you've got, you know, Tony Romo or somebody who like knows the game explaining what's going on or what's about to go on or why this is important. They can give you context. Um, you can get, you know, whatever food you want delivered to your house. Like it's hard to beat your couch. And yet two years ago, they started construction of a stadium, one of the first major new stadiums in a major city, um, and they had a clean sheet of paper. So those are the lessons that we're trying to get out here, and that's gonna be the context for this conversation. And since we are now in person, this is not a virtual event, since you've made the effort to come here, um, now I know you guys are all tweeting this live, so that's okay. You can keep your devices on, but let's take advantage of the fact that we're in the room and get any questions you have about what these people have learned about how to create an experience that people want to show up for. And so with that in mind, I'd like to fire the first question to David, which is, you know, you've seen many soccer stadiums. You've seen, you've seen football everywhere. What's different this time? Well, a few things. So I'm going to talk in general terms around MLS, and I'm going to talk specifically about St. Louis. So we believe there's a huge opportunity to create something distinct as it relates to the live experience. We believe there's an opportunity to create an environment that young people want to come to that is different than the other sports that exist in North America. So you um, say soccer is different than football? It, well, you Here want we to go. talk about what we should call it? Or no, 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 it's not semantic. The, the okay. tackle football Soccer's, soccer's different, different than hockey. Yes, very much so. So the reason that it is, in terms of the live experiences, we've created almost a, look at it as a blank canvas. It's a blank canvas to fill. So if you go into one of our stadiums, and we were fortunate enough, Jim and I, to go to the opening of the St. Louis Stadium um, two weekends ago, 
an incredible, incredible opening, incredible experience. The stadium is a blank canvas for the fans to come in and to do what they want to do. That's very different when you go to other sporting events because the Budweiser clapometer comes on and tells you when to clap. Or the stadium billboard comes on and shouts defense, defense. It's actually defense, not defense. Attack, attack, attack. Um, and it's telling you what to do. It's almost that you're a, you're a puppet in a play. That's not what is happening in MLS. That's not happening with the soccer movement in this country. The soccer movement in this country is inviting you to be part of it, to come on board, to bring your true self, and to shape it and to grow it with us. So when you go to the building and you're actually experiencing a live game, it's, it's, the experience is generated from the ground up in a very authentic, very organic way. And it's done so by the fans. The fans are singing the songs that they want to sing when they want to sing it. They're putting up T4, they're flying banners, there's rituals and traditions that are happening around our sport that is very specific to the sport at large, but are even more specific to the city that that particular club is being created in. So that at, that at large is, I think, one of our big points of differentiation. The fact, as a young person, because any young person who's consuming brands in the world today, they want to understand that the brand is listening to them, that's taking on board their feedback, and they see that in the product and the experience that is put back at them. And that's essentially what we're trying to do with the live experience. Because, of course, as Jim set up, there is an unbelievable opportunity to see the digital product, to see a live environment served to you through a streaming platform or through Linear, and it's, it's very good. But there's nothing that beats going to a stadium. And we feel like we've nailed that, and we've created a live experience that is so special and so specific to the sport. And then you dry, drill down into the local markets, and you create a version that is very specific to St. Louis. And I think what they've done there is, is, is incredible now. I'll let the St. Louis guys talk about okay, that. Okay, so, so let, but let's, let's drill down to that, because you guys um, need to know something. Most major sporting events black out the broadcast in order to fill the stadium, right? You, you've all experienced that. You want to watch the game. You can't watch your local game because not enough of your, you know, neighbors showed up and paid whatever it cost to go there and fill the stadium. So they, they say, well, you can't watch broadcast. In this case, all of these games are televised. So you, you, you don't have to go to the stadium in order to enjoy the game. In other words, you're guaranteed to see all the games. Why didn't you do a contract like all the other sports? Like where that said, force the people to fill the stadiums first. Well, we, we wanted to meet the consumer on their terms, right? What, did you want to make more money? Of course. Okay. Absolutely. We want it, but we Why believe money it? comes by creating a great fan experience. If you create and deliver to fans what they want, then it's kind of the leading and the lagging indicator, right? People focus on the revenue. You actually focus on creating a great experience. Yeah, but if I'm an owner, I want to create a great owner experience. And my great owner experience is having a full stadium mm -hmm. of people paying for crappy food and... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's the whole point, right? We haven't created a crappy experience. You've created an experience that's compelling for someone to go to. You've created an environment that is compelling. That does not happen anywhere else. That does not happen in other sports. You want to go because you are part of something and you are taking part in something that is so unique and special to that part of the world. And that's okay, what so, happened. You so can't miss the live experience. You don't want to miss the live experience. That FOMO is, is alive and well in our league today. I would argue this. You don't want to miss the live experience if the live experience is worth it. But a lot of people skip the live experience unless there's something that makes it worth it. So, Matt, your job has been make it worth it. Yeah, and I, I think the, you know, the deal with Apple TV, I think it, it pressure tested what we were doing because if there are no blackouts and you can watch every single match from home for 100 bucks a year, um, it, the, the live experience has to be incremental, magical, 
relevant. And, you know, David, you mentioned ultimately consumers, especially younger ones, want to see themselves in the brand. We supercharged that. We had an extra year because of COVID. We did a lot of research, um, but we opened up really a lot of focus groups, panels, and workshops, and really just asked our region, what kind of food do you want? What type of music do you want? How do you want to curate this experience? And so ultimately, it has created a real ripple effect in our fan base where we've got the soccer lovers, but we knew they were going to be there. So- uh, soccer is very innate to St. Louis. We were really looking to build pride in the region and, and make sure that the stadium and the live experience was a reflection of all the great things going on in the region. So um, I think that's how you make it you know, incremental. You've got the, literally the best food St. Louis has to offer in the stadium. So why is that so controversial? And by the way, it is, because I was there for the, 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 the food is fantastic. Um, you used a special process to create it. What was that? <laughs> it was really, you know, we hired a James Beard award-winning chef to help curate it and build relationships with local chefs, but ultimately we asked our fans. Oh, okay, so you asked what they wanted yeah. and you gave it to them. It seems simple, right? Yeah, but I mean, how many times do I have to choke down some, you know, dried piece of Cisco chicken at a at a at an event before other venues recognize this? Well, it's I, part of the experience. It is, but I'll say it's hard, right? How do you do it, Lauren? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely daunting. You look at a service model like a sports stadium. I mean, we walked through Austin, and we walked through, and we thought wow, are we going to be able to do this? Luckily for us, the pandemic taught us so much about tech and about quick service because we had to quick adapt to like, we were a counter service restaurant, you know, like people would walk up order. We never did takeout. And this was like, COVID put tech involved. So now you can order online. People come in, pick up their food. It's quick. It's fast. And we knew at that point, when they approached us, we were like, okay, I think we're capable of doing this now. Not only that, but like, talk about regional pride, like we're sitting down watching the reels from the game and the winning soccer goal like goes into the net and you see our Balkan tree bucks on the television on Apple TV and we were all like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. but, but you ran a small restaurant. Yeah, it's I mean, small. you won the James Beard Award for a small St. Louis restaurant. I mean, Jim, we serve 90,000 people a year. The whole year? The whole year. Okay. And how many people are at a stadium? It's 22,000. 22,000. 22,000. <laughs> and they all, at soccer, yeah. get out at once. Halftime is... Yeah. 15, 15 minutes. You got 15, 15 minutes, minutes to feed. You just never think that you can put out the amount of food that goes out in such a short period of time. So what did you have to do? So we did a lot of testing. I mean, we, we were in other stadiums, opened up their doors for us to like come in and test food and see what we could get out, what we could get out quickly. But also, like, we're heavily involved in everything that we do at Balkan Treat Box. Like, you're going to see me there. You're going to see Edo there. Um, and so we were the ones in there testing, and they gave us all the tools and equipment and everything that we needed in order to be successful and just you know, this food is being made, does this work? If it sits in a hot box for a certain amount of time, is it still gonna taste good? Are you still gonna enjoy it? Yes, you are. You know, like it took a while to get there, but we had, we had the support and the tools that we needed to do it. And you were also there. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking you know, lessons that I can take away from it. One is ask what people want, and then when you give it to them, make sure that the people who deliver it are still the ones who deliver it. Like you could have just taken your brand, 
subbed it out, hired a bunch of people. Yeah, we had to ask ourselves, like, we you're sat, there. Yeah, we sat right. down in a meeting and it was like, if we're gonna do this, do we all agree to be there? Like, Edo, do you wanna be there? Emir, do you wanna be there? Like, Lauren, are you gonna be there? And yeah, we want to be there. We wanna be at every game. We wanna see everybody's face. We wanna see our neighbors. We wanna see our customers. We wanna see our friends. Like, and that's what makes the kind of food experience in St. Louis so unique because you're waving at people and you're supporting your local restaurants. You're supporting your, lo your friends. Like, it's just, that's not normal. We've all been to sporting events. How many times do you walk through and see your favorite restaurant, you know, and get excited and pumped about it and want to support them? You don't. This is new. This is cool. And it's such a cool experience for restaurant owners because we never thought we could be on the platform like this. It's amazing. We'll touch so many more people this way and they'll know about us. And I just think that's remarkable. And then Lauren and these restaurant owners then become personalities as part of the game day. Obviously, a large fo focus is, is on-field and the on-field performance. But to have, we have over 25 local restaurants as a part of this food story in stadium. And so to have these entrepreneurs in stadium that people recognize is, again, one of those pride-inducing moments that I think a lot of our fans have. I mean, so it's, <clears throat> sorry, it's also culturally, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Like, yes, St. Louis is a soccer town. Like, we're a great soccer town. I grew up, you know, with season tickets to the St. Louis Steamers, like, soccer town. But we have so many immigrants in St. Louis. My family is Bosnian. They're from war-torn country, um, where, like I said before, the lifeblood was soccer. And, but it's not just Bosnia. Like, we have Venezuelan food. There's... Italian, um, Senegalese. Yeah, yeah, there's so many different varieties and representation of culture inside of that stadium that you can't not walk through there and feel like I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it for people. Like you can't not walk through there and feel good about the fact that it, there's representation there for you too. And that's really special. So how do you connect all those things? I mean, if I think about it, you know, the, the typical sports stadium to me is this thing with bad parking, um, kind of lousy experience going in, like it's hard to go in. Right, you know, you, you get the friendly grab, you know, um, uh, and then uh, see now people are going. <laughs> yeah, you, we all know it, right? It's lousy experience. Hard to get in, um, hard to get out because everyone leaves in, in, in a giant mass, and you can't find your car, or you can't get to your car, or you can't get to public transport because it's clogged up. Um, and you've got to you, you've got to overcome that in order to make me want to come to this event. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I'm curious about is like right now, there's so many more things you have to cover. So for instance, if the food is not just some faceless, you know, brand that's, you know, grill, you know yeah. burning burgers and handing them to me, um, and, and the owner is there, uh, well, now you have a responsibility for showcasing the owner. Do you treat, do you treat, it seems like it's just getting more complicated. It, it is, but that, that's where we, you know, with, with a three year buildup towards this, we, we heavily invested in mobile. Um, knowing that it's a new venue, we can condition our fans a bit differently. And while things like even digital ticketing in sports took a while for that adoption to happen, we knew we could open this way. So focus on mobile. And what mobile does for us is not only serve up digital tickets, but we can build personalized itinerary. So engagement, soccer fans are, are notorious for showing up right at kickoff. And so what that does is then it puts a bigger stress on this 15-minute halftime to get everything you need. So engagement for us, because so many of our fans are already in the mobile app, 
engagement happens that morning. And so that morning, we're serving up personalized itineraries where we're talking about Lauren at Balkan Street Box. We're talking about things to do in our plaza area before the game. So great for fans because they feel like that experience has been curated for them, but it really draws out that day from a 15-minute to more of a you know, three, four-hour engagement window. Okay, so let's say I'm not building a stadium this year, but I am planning an event. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you recommend I focus on? What are the things that I got to look at? If I'm, I'm throwing a party, I'm having some, I'm trying to do some in-person event, what do I have to consider? Does the neighborhood matter? Does my location, or, or, or will people show up? Like, what are your checklists on, on throwing an actual event that somebody in this audience might do? <laughs> um, I'm trying to make it yeah, relevant for you ahead. guys. Yeah, I mean, I think that... The it, owners all sit in the back. All the, the, the back are all team members. <laughs> They're judging you silently. I mean, I did event coordination for a really long time. <laughs> but I think anytime you do anything, you want to look around you. You know, people want to see things that are familiar. Like, it, use somebody local. Use somebody nearby. Find music that's relevant to the area, to the food. Are you doing a theme? Like... All of the things that you know we're talking about today, I mean, even tech. I mean, you guys did this whole thing on just video, like hyping up the food as if they were their own stars. Like, I feel like you can do that in any event. Like, put together a little video. Our phones make it so easy for us now. Like, there's just so much that we can do to do to make things more communal in terms of events. Talk about, the, talk about the area that you're in, because you did something special to acknowledging what had happened previously in this part of St. Louis, which, I mean, this is downtown, folks. There's been, there have been people on this land for uh, hundreds of years. What did you do? Um, so we're in downtown St. Louis and 32-acre campus. So it's a soccer stadium, but it's also it's a training facility, three practice fields. Um, our team headquarters is down there, a two-story team store. So it's a big soccer campus. And we are benefactors in that land um, simply because in urban expansion in the 40s and 50s, um, a neighborhood was torn apart. Um, it was called Mill Creek Valley, and it was a predominantly black neighborhood um, full of young entrepreneurs, artists, musicians, and um, that neighborhood was, was torn apart. I'm born and raised in St. Louis, never heard about it. Um, so, you know, we have an unbelievable ownership group um, that's from St. Louis and really wanted to understand the history of the land that we are on. And so um, what we ended up creating was um, an installation called Pillars of the Valley, um, an homage to Mill Creek Valley, um, hired a, an artist named Damon Davis um, to come in and depict and really memorialize that land. And it's created, um, I'd say, a real buzz in the community. Um, families show up early. They're learning a, a, about history of St. Louis that they never uh, had heard or seen before. Um, it's invoking conversation uh, about how to not repeat uh, the sins of our past. Um, so it, it, you know, it, it is that piece where whether we're talking food, architecture, music, um, art. Um, it's, it's using sports as a lens to uh, tell stories um, on the field, but around it as well. So um, it's pretty, um, I don't know, it's, it's pretty it's magical emotional. to walk around. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So um, there's another interesting thing about this that sort of riffs off that, and that is Soccer, at least as a professional sport, men's soccer, is sort of new to the United States. I mean, yes, we have had teams, yeah. 
but who cared? Right? I mean, it just has not been a popular sport. It has not been one of the dominant, uh, you know, sort of cultural icons. And, and, and now it seems like it's coming in. It seems like soccer is becoming more and more um, uh, top of mind. Uh, so we have an opportunity to create this new thing. We don't inherit 100 years of tradition, at least in this country. What are we doing differently? I'm going to ask uh, you know, David to opine on this. Yeah. What are we doing differently here that, that is fundamentally different, either about soccer as it's played in the MLS mm -hmm. or um, generally as you're, as you're thinking about introducing soccer to basically a country that hasn't really woken up to the sport that the rest of the world has been playing forever? Yeah, no, totally. It's, um, we get this question a lot. I mean, soccer is... is oh, sorry, man. The, uh, yeah, well, That's known as a go, softball. Go to, go, go to a better one. No, this is a great question because one. soccer is played here. If you go outside on the streets, if you go into most communities in the U.S., you see kids playing soccer. The problem has been there's been nothing to do with it after like 12-year-old, right? And people just drop off and then choose other sports. Now there's a platform. Now there's an opportunity if you want to play the game to play it at the highest level. There are other ways to continue to connect to the game, whether you're in a market that has a team or not. I mean, the FIFA video game is a great conduit to that. And we obviously had the tournament last night, which St. Louis actually won, as we mentioned earlier. So there's these opportunities to continue the journey around the game. So that's one thing. The second thing is, the, as, as, as Jim just mentioned, it's the global game. It's played around the world. There is probably two things, if you go on any part of the world to try and, and foster a conversation with anyone in a bar in the back of a taxi, if you want to get someone going, and I'm going to take politics and religion out of it, if you want to get someone going, you just ask them about football. Do you know football? Do you follow a team? Do you have a favorite player? Generally, nine times out of ten, you're going to get someone yeah. to talk back to you. That's one thing. The second thing is the great export of America is pop culture. Like whether people like it or, 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 or directly kind of associate with it or indirectly kind of know about it, pop culture is the great export of this country. So imagine if you put those two things together, right? You take this global game of football, you bring it to this part of the world, and then you take the cultural sensibilities that are known around the world at a macro and a micro level, and you try and build teams, that's what we're talking about in St. Louis, that are very much of that area, that very much reek of what that area is all about, and very much speaks to what St. Louis is about. Then you're in this special place because you're connecting into this global sport of football, but you've created your version by using pop culture at a macro and a micro level to be able to illustrate it and bring it to life. And there are things that happen in our league and in our, in our sport that don't happen anywhere else around the world. You know, there's things like the march to the match, there's the TIFO and the chanting, which are like macro rituals which happen across the league. And yes, some of that happens in other sports. But then you have things like Timber Joy, who is a, um, he is a, a, holds a chainsaw and he chops logs for a living in Portland, slicing off logs, rearing the crowd up before a game in Portland. That could only happen in Portland. That could only happen in MLS. In Atlanta, which is home to black culture and hip-hop music, they take that as an inspiration for how they build their experience there. So, for example, the fans behind the goal, they call themselves the footy mob, and they actually sing hip-hop songs that they've converted into soccer chants. That could only happen in Atlanta. It can only happen in MLS. And that's exactly what's going on in St. Louis. So we've tapped into this global game, and we're creating our version of the global game that proudly happens here. That gives someone something to latch onto. It makes it feel special and unique. And if you're a kid playing the game, there's pathways to pro now. And you can be on a global stage that you probably can't be if you play the other sports. And they see that in themselves. And they see that opportunity. And that's what I think is going to make soccer the sport of what, you know, when people talk about the sport of this land, I think it's soccer. 
this is a this is a this is a melting pot of cultures. Soccer is a melting pot of cultures. That's the game. That's what we're talking about here. Soccer is the sport of this land. I think the 2026 World Cup is going to accelerate that, and then over the next 10, 20 years, I think it's you know will be easily top three sports in in this part of the world. And the opportunity that like, that you mentioned. I mean, our home, at our home opener uh, two weekends ago. Uh, the, the part that gave me the most goosebumps was we had a, a, a young midfielder, Miggy Perez. Um, so he's Latino. He's in St. Louis. Uh, he's 17 years old, and he, he, he gets in the match. And so for, for that type of opportunity for a 17-year-old kid to be from St. Louis, playing in the professional side in a new stadium, you know, playing in front of 22,000 fans on a Saturday night and in social studies class in high school on, on, the, on the following Monday is is a pretty remarkable yeah. opportunity. And, and think about that as a fan, right? If you're a fan of the other sports, those players that are coming into your clubs are typically coming through the college system, right? And they're already elevated to such a level at that point, and stories have been told in many, many different ways. But these guys are creating their own talent from 12-year-old. So if you're a fan of a club, and you're from that area, passionate about that area, and you've got kids who've been in your system, and they're making debuts at 17-year-old, the connection that you have the unique connection you have compared to some of the other sports, I think, again, is, is a point of difference. That development of talent and seeing them come through the first team by giving them a pathway is huge. And I think the US will ultimately be very successful at the national level, and ultimately, I think, will win a World Cup. They'll probably win it before England. I'm saying that as an Englishman. It pains me to say that, but I do generally believe the US will beat England to, the next, to, to a World Cup before England wins it. Do, do you think there's something about soccer's accessibility that makes it special? I mean. Uh, like arguably the best player in the world is shorter than I am. I mean, you don't, you don't have to have sort of, sort of odd genetics to perform in that sport well, right? V vertically. Right. <laughs> no. These are top-tier athletes, Jim. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no bones about so, it. So is Tom Cruise. <laughs> no. I, I, yeah, I think globally soccer is the most accessible the most accessible sport. That's why it's, it's gained such popularity because kids around the globe play it. I think in America, it has become a, a pay-to-play sport. Um, so you reach a certain age, and it's, it's not cheap to play. Um, so that was, again, another area that our ownership group invested in is, is to create vehicles for kids um, from all over St. Louis just to come out and, and play for free, to enter the system um, so that they can be exposed to the sport and hopefully fall in love with it. Yeah, and, and just, just to build on that, the other thing about accessibility is the ability for kids to see themselves in the sport. I mean, you've talked about it a lot about the experience. I want to see St. Louis in the experience. I want to see my culture in the experience of going to a game. If you're a kid playing, you want to see that there's a pathway to play because you want to see people who've gone before you. Yeah. And by the way, there's kids in the urban community that haven't made it through in MLS yet, and that's changing, and that's obviously going to create like a different layer to the whole story. But like, we've got 84 different nationalities playing in MLS today. That is way more than any other sport. Again, going back to my point earlier about being a melting pot and being actually what America is today, like this is that sport, 84 different nationalities. The next highest is like the Premier League, like 61, 62. Like it is a reflection of what America is today, like in our league. So if you're a young kid coming up, you can see yourself in this sport. And I think that's really, really powerful in the world that we live in. And any brand out there like who's serving up an experience or a way in, or an aspirational quality or desire through your consumer base, if they can see themselves in the product and in the experience, you stand half a chance. So I'd just like to ask the audience, how many of you uh, have seen recently an MLS game in the last year? Okay, so you got wow. a bunch of soccer fans here. That's good. That's awesome. Very yeah. good. I hope how you're all paying subscribers have, how of Apple TV, would, by the way. How many would have said that five years ago? Okay. Not bad. So it's coming up. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Um, well, okay, so, so I'd like to pivot a little bit and, and, and talk about technology here. Mm -hmm. we're, the tech allows us to deliver these things. The tech allows us to survey the fans. Like, we have this massive advantage if we know how to use the technology to create fantastic results. Um, but Lauren, you had to go from serving, I just can't get these numbers out of my head, 90,000 a year <laughs> to potentially tens of thousands in a 15-minute period. Yeah. What, what changed in the tech? What are you doing so, that, that allows you to feed us still good food? So I think there's a few things. Like you obviously have to start with great product, but in terms of tech, you know, right now we can all get on our phones and order anything we want. Essentially, you can do that in the stadium now too. Um, and then as the food providers being prepared for that, so what does that look like? You know, how do we build out our system? How do we build the food? How do we order the food? You know it's going to be, you know, after a certain amount of games, I think we'll have a, a better handle on what our pars would be. But in terms of tech, like now we're not only like, we can only see so many people face to face in a game that can stand in line and wait. Well, now they can go on their phone, they can order, we can have things lined up for them to come grab. And now they're getting to, to experience things that the people that are waiting in line get to as well. I think there's just a huge difference in that. And maybe we're on one side of the stadium and you're sitting on another, you pick up your phone, you order, you walk over and you can come back instead of standing in that line. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's an area that we invested in. It's just this, this idea of variety in the stadium is there are, you know, fans that have told us part of their halftime ritual is to stand in line for, you know, a, a, a beer with their friends. And, and that's fine. You can do that. But if you want to choose, um, you know, one of our frictionless markets where you walk in, you grab something, you leave, you don't, you don't talk or exchange money with anyone. You can mobile order ahead. We have 10 venues that have mobile order ahead. So we have all this variety and it's all built out of the, the necessity of how do you take that 15 minutes and, and spread it out as much as you can. So 10 minutes before half, you're ordering Balk and Treat Box and picking it up at the you know, right place and right time. It's also data gathering. So like we know, you know, each game will tell us more and more and more based on that data yeah. that we would never have before. Like you would never really know. So now you have this like piece of technology that can give us PARs that would have taken us, you know, probably a so full PARs, year. PARs for those of us who are not in the Oh yeah, pars just mean like how many of an item. So how many do you start with? <laughs> Which is important in soccer because you know we have this massive pregame rush. Yes. And then 45 like, minute first half where everything kind of goes low, and then the 15 minute spike. So we were, we got like, it was like two. Yeah, it was like yeah. that's my husband. <laughs> Thank you. Now it's becoming an immersive experience. <laughs> No, seriously, you guys. Like, Round sound. Yeah, you should, you, should, you should be able to ask questions. You ask questions if you have it. Uh, any yeah. questions from the audience so far? Because we were playing. Yes, go. Yeah, I am the oldest guy in the room, so I'll be the old part. Um, it comes down to product versus experience, right? And the product on the field doesn't match. Am I going to come? And yeah. I know that's the question you always deal with. And remember, I live in Chicago where the on field product. And by the way, the off the field product at Soldier Field, to put it politely, is below par. Mm -hmm. The um, par. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's well um, yeah. Good use of par again. The um, 
So it goes back to audience, right? There's, there's, there's a group of people who, who obsess over what happens in between the white lines, right? They want the team to win. They want the team to be successful. They want the team to have great players, play a great style of play, express themselves in a certain way, all that good stuff, right? And there's a group that come for that. But we know that there's a group, a large group, that don't come for that because they might not get exactly what's going on in between the white lines. But there's something happening in town. There's something happening with the experience of going to that game that is very unique, that you don't get with the other sports. That is pulling you in. That is offering you a different way to participate. By the way, that is 90 minutes. It doesn't take all day if you go to that other football, that tackle football thing you mentioned earlier. You go to a game there, you're gone for the whole day. And like your wife's sending out a search mission because she, you just haven't came home. It's like the game's flipping still going on. Um, so there is something happening, the experience of going to a game, that is very unique and distinct. And that, I think, is appealing to a large group of people. By the way, we've got multiple markets. Now, these guys aren't there yet because, as, as Matt said, they've won the first three games, so they're clearly doing something right on the field. But we've had many markets in MLS. Cincinnati's a great example. Portland is a great example. Where those teams were... Portland didn't finish getting into the playoffs until year six. Cincinnati got the wooden spoon for three years in a row. They were averaging 26,500. Because there was something happening going to a game of soccer in Cincinnati that was different than everything else. It was reflecting what young people in Cincinnati thought of a young Cincinnati. That was the vehicle to express what modern Cincinnati had become to people. In the same way, these guys are a vehicle to express what modern, young, exciting, progressive St. Louis means in a city. So there is going to be an audience that absolutely cares about what happens on the field. But there's going to be an audience that is just there because there's something happening. It doesn't happen when you go to other sporting events. It's also about control, though. Like the the fact is, like we don't we don't control the performance on the field. Uh, other people are responsible for that. What we can control is creating an experience where food alone is reason enough to visit, or create an experience that you know becomes you know the top tourist attraction in the region. So that that's how we looked at it on the business side. Of the experience alone should be reason enough to come outside of win, loss, or draw. So and we also did. Oh yeah, question. We've got a couple, I think. There's all, yeah, let's yeah. look. Let's see, you've got a mic there. Yeah, let's pass there. the pass the mic around. If you want, it, you can get up and grab the mic after the person asks, and then let's just keep it going. Or you can form a line if you want. She has a cardinal yeah, spin on. Go ahead. This this man has a mic, and you're next. Yeah. You've got the mic. You got to turn it on. Just switch it on. I have the same problem. <laughs> I have two little girls. I grew up playing that terrible game you talked about earlier. And my kids will never play football. Even if I have four boys after this, they will be soccer players because of what I think uh, it means about us when we're soccer fans. I think it's the most inclusive uh, melting pot, as you said, uh, group of fans. And honestly, I'm from Minneapolis. And when you go to a game, it's in St. Paul technically, but yeah. uh, it's a different group of people than you would see at a Vikings game or, uh, or even a Minnesota Twins game. It's the open-minded people, the people that are there to enjoy with each other. There's no yelling, fighting, any of that stuff. Uh, my question is, what do you see, uh, first of all, how can the MLS and that fan base set an example uh, for other sports? Um, and also, I think, uh, how does that, how's that going to look as we move forward? I think, what, what can we do to make soccer a leading sport, not just in the sport in the field, but in in how we set an example for fans. Yeah, great question. I'll take the last question first because I think we've all been talking here about the experience of going to a game over 90 minutes. I think for soccer to win, we have to be relevant once the final whistle goes. 
and before the next whistle goes. That's our biggest challenge at the moment, and that's the thing that we're pushing through the league office right now, is how do we become part of the fabric of this country, part of the DNA of this country? Because pound for pound, we'll beat anyone when we do a live experience, because I think we do better than anyone. I really do. The way that, going to your first question, the way that we, if other you know, sports want to kind of learn from anything, I think it's how do you invite fans in? How do you give them a platform? How do you give them a canvas to be expressive? Because young people want to express themselves around the things that they care about the most. And how do you facilitate that and give them things that they recognize and they see around town that they want to consume and makes them comfortable and makes them want to be part of that experience in the first place. So I think those two things together, I think, will, will ultimately um, enable us to move to, to the next level. Does the speed of the game matter? It's a question for me? Yeah. Um, I think it's really helpful in the modern world, right? It's 90 minutes and it's done. I mean, that's the hardest part with these guys trying to create an amazing experience and serve food. It's like you've got two halves of 45, there's no breaks, and then you have 15 minutes in the middle, and then that's literally it. You're in and you're out. So to, to be fit for purpose from the modern world, where like we've all got a lot going on, the pressures of, the, of life, um, we need the out. Sports is the great outlet for everything. Um, but the game of soccer, I think, with its two-hour com time component, is really, really fit for purpose in that mm -hmm. respect. Actually, I should have asked it more specifically. I didn't mean the length of the game. I meant the speed. So the water the pitch. I, this was my first, okay. um, when I, first game I saw, they were, they were watering uh, the pitch during the breaks. Yeah. And I said, why do you do that? And they said, it makes the ball go faster. Why do you want the ball to go faster? Depends on. The I mean, we could talk. Playing we could have style, a right? yeah. We could have a tactical discussion here about styles of play, oh, but it's like that, it's about like, how teams like want to pass. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. If you want to okay. pass the ball so quickly, like a like a fast slick field is going to enable you to pass the ball quickly. And if you believe you've got better passes on the field than the opposition, you also, can help, you can outpass them and tie the opposition down with a slicker pitch. There are also teams that will water the corners of the field. So if you want to play direct and hoof it up into the corner, that the heavy heavy wetness in the field, corners will hold the ball up so you can get your wingers to catch up. And anyway, I'm getting into a tactical lesson okay, here and you yeah. probably don't know. <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't, I didn't know, that, but that's not league wide. That was just St. Louis trying to uh, have its own little deflate game. <laughs> it's, all, it's all legal. There's nothing illegal about no, it. No, not, not Every legal. Every team's free to put no, water playing, on the field and all that good stuff. But uh, you know, uh, the, the score on this game was three to one. At least the one that, that I was in the stadium for, it was, it was three to one. And I remember when I was a student, because I went to school, uh, you know, in England, um, I would go to games and it would be, you know, zero, zero, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of the, it's the cliche opinion of soccer in America. It's, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not high scoring, but I, I do think the, the speed and when you see the product, whether it's on television or in person, um, it's a fast game. It's, it's fast and it's very athletic and there are different playing styles and variances, but um, the athleticism out there, whether it's, you know, zero, zero or three to one is, is, is pretty impressive. But, you know, it's, it's that, I think it, 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 it leads to that anticipation and, and soccer being such a, a tribal communal experience where you are waiting for that first goal. Um, there's nothing else like it. Other questions? Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little more about sort of the specific brand magic and experience magic you've created because like, yes, St. Louis is a soccer town, but you could always get tickets for a minor league game. It was never completely full. And you're taking a city that is so obsessed with our baseball team that Cardinals become synonymous, <clears throat> yet you sell out completely for the entire season before you even play the game. And you 
bringing all sorts of sailors, myself included, who can't get it down just to be around the stadium for the first home game. And you've got people more excited probably than we are about other teams that have done well in town. So can you talk a little more about like, what, what you really did? Yes, the food, like there is the local aspect of the food and the artists, but I think it probably has to be more than that. Yeah, it's, it's a, a very loaded question and a good one. I think, you know, a, a lot of the early brand work um, done, done by our team was, was built around a movement, uh, it was called STL Made, um, if you've seen it around town. Um, and it really was, um, you know, the, the research showed that by and large, people outside St. Louis are indifferent. They have no opinion about St. Louis. They don't know what it stands for. They don't know why it's relevant compared to other cities like Nashville and Austin. And so it was really using that insight to say, um, if we could use the power of sport that is communal and international, um, it has to be through the lens of being bigger than soccer. Um, because there is a great fan base and there is history in, in, in soccer in St. Louis, but it was how do, you, how do you create something bigger than that such that we know the soccer people are going to be there, but what we really want are these regional champions that are really interested in telling a big story about why St. Louis matters. And it was that relevancy that I, I think has created a, a ripple effect that we have foodies that are season ticket holders that know nothing about the game. But that's okay, because now they're in stadium and they can learn with you know, the rest of the 22,000 people. So I think that's what it's about, is once, once that insight was set and that anchor in our ownership group was set, that this is more of a, a tourism project than it is a soccer product, of course we want to be excellent on the field, but it was about that, that comprehensive experience to make it a number one tourist attraction. That is, I think, the magic of the brand, is that that allows us now to create these other magnets, whether it's dogs or uh, food or music, and, and it, it all makes sense and ladders up to this regional pride. So how important is it that I care about the team or the game if I show up? Like, are you okay if I just show up and have a great time? And Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, because that's the hook. That's right. the hook. And then we've got time to teach you about these personalities on the team, or we've got time to tell you about the rules of soccer, but we want to use those other things as magnets. So what percentage of the opening night crowd would you say was people who were just there for the experience as opposed to the game? I, I think it, 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 it's about 25% of our fan base that is the soccer purist that cares about what happens between the lines, and the other 75% are learning you know, they, they, they learned with the World Cup late last year. Um, they know St. Louis has a soccer team, but they're more interested in this collective we. They wanted the experience. They wanted the ex absolutely. And, 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 and how oversubscribed were you? Um, so it's a 22,500-seat venue, and we have ticket deposits over 70,000. Wow. That's a lot of demand. Okay. And um, you don't allow anyone to use single-use plastics. That's right. So uh, uh, probably one of the more ambitious things that we did. Yeah, so, how'd you do that? I can't get plastics out of anything. <laughs> it's, it's arguably a lot easier to do because we are a new building. And so being able to um, go into this saying, you know, we want the food to be delicious. Uh, we want the technology to be immersive, but we also want it to be environmentally responsible. Um, a lot easier to do when we're a new property and we can um, choose partners very wisely. Um, we can go into conversations with Coke or Pepsi much differently because we know what we stand for. So um, it was ambitious 
And I think uh, when we talked about it uh, internally, it was something that we wanted to do. And then we started to really look through the entire fan journey and realize in sports, um, not only do we, uh, live entertainment produces a lot of waste, but the minutia of that from straws to plates to bags, um, even uh, promos and giveaways um, are usually wrapped in single-use plastic. So um, I think, you know, the ability for us to have, you know, a strong ownership group that is very uh, mission-driven, um, but also the fact that, you know, we're a new property and we can kind of define that on our terms was a lot of the special sauce there. Was that your idea? Oh, who, who, how, how did that idea come about? Let me ask you that. Was that idea put forth because you thought it would be popular with fans? or because you thought it was the right decision, or some mixture? This was solely you know, driven by you know, our ownership and, and leadership group that you know, we're creating this beautiful stadium in downtown St. Louis, and our, our mission is to be bigger than soccer, and we want to be a great neighbor. Um, and it was starting to really understand the operations of a 17-game schedule and know that, wow, we're going to gather a lot of waste. What can we do to, to really control that? Okay. Yes, sir. So, so this uh, I can talk about it, right? So this image here to me uh, says that St. Louis is embracing culture. It's not just sport, but you also have other areas like music. Um, for example, I'm a Wolverhampton Wanderers fan because uh, of my wife, and we have a record label. Uh, of course, we won uh, our, our MLS. I mean, our Premier League gaming. What are you going to do for art and music? Because the convergence of sport and art and music is is palpable, and you've done so well. What are you going to do with the music and art? So I think both of those are where where culture happens and and where you know you find trends. Um, and so you know for for the musical side, uh, we hired a, a director of, of musical experience. Um, it's from St. Louis, and so for him, it, it, it's us. Um, acknowledging that uh, we don't know everything and we need to find someone that is undeniably passionate about St. Louis but also well connected and networked in. So um, what uh, Mastermind is his name uh, that he goes by helps us really curate uh, a game day playlist, the sounds of the game. And that's everything from uh, anthems that you hear across the stadium to, you know, what DJs are going to play in plaza and activation areas. So, um, Again, it, I think it's, it's us as a team saying we've, we've hired a good degree of experts um, that come from all different walks of life and experiences, but hiring people in the community that are, you know, well-known to help us curate that. Well, then on, um, fr I mean, Friday night, the night before they launched the, um, the first home game, had their first home game, they had a big block party with Metro Boomin and Anderson Park. And to your point, I think soccer uh, is the sport that probably has the most amount of permission to be in culture, whether it's music, food, fashion, art, entertainment, and anything in between. Um, it just has that permission to tell those stories and to connect. So the Friday night, and by the way, we've talked a little bit about the Apple partnership, but the Apple partnership enables us to go really, really broad across their entire ecosystem. So Friday night block party, real celebration that soccer was here in St. Louis. Um, we worked with Apple when we figured out what was going to go, go down on the Friday night, and Metro Boom and created a playlist that we put in Apple Music. Suddenly, Apple Music is promoting this whole thing, and they weren't before that. Uh, we were then able to connect the stories of the Friday night, so the content, as well as the playlist, into the live broadcast. So if you're watching the live broadcast, the lower third came up and went, you can get the St. Louis City SC playlist, authored by Metro Boomin in Apple Music right now. 
So we're connecting the dots wherever we go. The Apple partnership is not just a straight up, let's broadcast the game differently, but there's a different way of thinking about sports marketing. There's a different way of connecting the dots because I think that's what modern marketing is about. It's about connecting the dots. It's about using ecosystems. It's about bringing different people around the table so you can do one plus one equals three. And I think music, art, food, fashion, we're finding a lot of musicians out there in the world. They want their values and what, how they want to live their lives is connecting to soccer and MLS versus the other sports, which traditionally it might not have done in the past. Mm -hmm. And our agency, a record at, the, at, at MLS is Cornerstone. Their, their, their day job is the theater. And the theater is obviously very synonymous with South by Southwest and has a lot of music-related programming around town. So it's a really important part of how we can grow and reach different audiences and step outside the white lines to get more and more people to come into our world and see soccer for what it is, which is this cultural phenomenon, as well as clearly a great sport. Just to cover that, that's amazing. But like Atlanta have artists, uh, urban artists, uh, when you go to the stadium and they really embrace the urban uh, lifestyle of Atlanta. It's amazing. It's not just in the class. Yep. In St. Louis, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sad that Jasmine can't be here because she's on a panel right there. Yeah. But she, she gets fan and famous artists to decorate soccer balls, and, and everyone loves them. Mm. Is, is there a St. Louis urban art look? Is there anything St. Louis that can do on an art side? Just make think, oh my God, this is just so insanely creative. Yeah, and there, there's, there's more news on that coming soon um, about how we fuse the game with local artists. And, um, you know, and there's plenty of opportunity for that, uh, whether it's murals around town or um, the infusion of our, you know, our supporter culture and these big TIFOs. And um, you know, working with local artists is really important to us as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm from St. Louis. Uh, as well, and I've played with these countdowns, so I've kind of seen the growth of soccer in the U.S. Love it. Um, but obviously, compared to Europe, we, have, we don't have to make it. Get up on that mic so people in the back can hear you. <laughs> it doesn't work? We're just passing it around as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a token. Do it microphones. <laughs> can you hear me now? Okay, yes, perfect. there you go. There we go. Um, <laughs> So obviously we don't have the same history that teams in Europe or South America have. Um, and there's a stigma around MLS as being like a retirement league. Um, with that in mind, I know you mentioned pop culture, um, but what are some things that the league is doing to develop this progressive identity and distinguish itself as a brand from the other leagues around the world? Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right. We have there has been a stigma around MLS, a few different ones, right? It's a retirement league for European players. The quality's not as good. We know by speaking to fans, all that stuff's referential. So it's referential in that if they see our teams doing well, vis-a-vis -vis other leagues around the world, that, that actually is a really good thing. So we compete in global football. Um, we have to because we are the US and Canadian domestic league, but then we compete in CONCACAF. CONCACAF is the pan-regional um, group that then all feeds up into FIFA. So beating the Mexican teams is really important for our league because we beat the Mexican leagues in international competition and that is a really important validator of quality, especially when the Mexican press the next day talks about how MLS is beating the Mexican league more than they used to beat us. That's a really important marker of how far we've come. That helps the soccer fan think about dif dif differently about MLS. This is actually serious league. The selling of players overseas is actually also a really good thing based on where we are in our existence. So unlike the other sports in this country where those players typically just stay within the league and they can market them in a certain way, we don't often have that luxury because sometimes a player will leave. But if he's leaving for 30, 40, 50 million and going to one of the big European clubs, that's actually a really good thing for us. It validates 
the academy, the development, the training that we're doing in MLS, because that says this is a serious league. This is a serious league that is operating within the global system. Again, that's really important for the soccer enthusiasts, the soccer hardcore fans to really get their head around. So those two things are happening now and is not diminishing anything about the league. It's actually making us stronger from a storytelling point of view and how people view us. And I think on the culture side of things, it's about being, being first movers in, in a lot of this stuff. I think the not having history means you can do stuff. You, you, you're not wedded to doing things a certain way. You're not like held back because this is how it's always been done. Like that's the reason why we signed the deal with Apple because there's a different way of doing sports marketing. There's a different way of broadcasting sports. And I think at the core of our brand is this desire to be the most progressive. And that means you take risks and you do bold things and some of it's gonna work and some of it's not, but you do it. And I think that gives you a permission to be in culture and do certain things. Cool. Thank you. We have time there. for two more. We'll go in the back and then finish with you. Um, so um, I just met you from last year, so nice to meet you in person. Go Bears. <laughs> so I was curious, my question is around just how does the MLS um, decide on which new area to like at, you know, establish a new team? Like how was St. Louis chosen? I was wondering if you could speak more to that. And, and then really what commitment like um, the MLS is making with St. Louis, right? Where you think, unfortunately, like, you know, we've, you know teams kind of move. You've seen with the NFL um, from here and there. And just how, how does the, 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 the um, the team really decide on that and like MLS, the company, I guess, um, you know, decide on those things. Sorry, sorry, I missed it. So, so your question was, how does MLS choose where we, where the next team is? Why'd, yes. you, why'd you choose St. Louis? Mm. Well, firstly, and I, by the way, you should talk about why you think we chose you, because I feel like I've been rabbiting on a lot here, but, um, <laughs> and it starts with an amazing ownership group, like, and we've got an amazing ownership group in St. Louis that are of the city, from the city, want good for the city, want to put something in the city that generations of people can be proud of and look back on, um, you know, have kids and bring your kids up to be fans of that club so that it really becomes this bastion of the, of the community at large and speaks to what mo new, modern, young St. Louis is all about. And I think we've got that with the ownership group and they clearly had a vision to build an unbelievable facility in downtown as, as, as Matt described earlier. It's unlike anything I've seen in global football, the fact that you've got a stadium, a training ground, a HQ all in this one block downtown it is so special and unique in that respect. So that, that, that's always where things start, and then obviously support of the city at large to be able to get, get the land. But all the, all the, all the, all the, the stadiums are, are, are privately funded. So I don't know, Matt, do you want to talk about some of the reasons why? Well, no, but just to put a finer point on it, I mean, we, you know, candidly exist in the, the, the wake of the Rams moving from St. Louis to Los Angeles, and I think people care deeply that our ownership group is from St. Louis and, and for St. Louis. So that idea that we are firmly planted and building something for the future is, um, it, it, it means a lot to people. Yeah, right down to the name of the team. City. Yeah. That's it. Last question, to you. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to be uh, the home opener for St. Louis City, big St. Louis City fan, Balkan Treat Box fan in general, MLS. And so my question in the spirit of the experience is, going to week four of MLS, City, Balkan, how are you using the data that you've gathered so far to think about the next experience, uh, whether that's the next experience over the next four weeks or next four months as the season progresses? Such a good question. I think, you know, moving forward for us is all about segmentation. 
Um, we want to be able to curate um, a personalized experience that'll come, you know, that morning of game day, we want to be able to serve up recommendations for you. So if you're a foodie, um, we can do different things. We can recommend things. If we know where you're sitting, we can um, tell you where to park. Um, I think those sorts of things really matter. And they're, frankly, they're, you know, there's people in our stadium that, that aren't foodies, um, but we want to use that insight to help them discover new things. Um, St. Louisans are also very uh, habitual. Uh, we live in pockets of neighborhoods, and um, we have our comfort foods, our comfort restaurants, and we don't venture out too much. So we love this idea of creating you know, an ecosystem uh, for discovery, where you're finding Balkan Treat Box if you've never been there, but then you know, on a Wednesday or a Thursday, then you're going to Webster Groves to try that out. So that's how we all kind of win together, and I think it, data is a big part of that because we can serve up relevant information on a one-to-one -one basis now. Was there any surprises in the data? Like you, you got in and you say, oh, we didn't realize this. We're still so early right now. Um, I think th the biggest surprise is, is being validated on people arriving early. That, that is what we are trying to do. 90% of, of people went to that home opener and they were, in, they were in, in our building 30 minutes before kick, which is just unheard of in soccer. Mm. Yeah, all right, good place to end. All right, well, uh, so we're at time. Thank you all very much. And, uh, Great, thank you. Thank you to David and Matt and Lauren. Thanks, everyone.